lost in evangelism. Today we're going to talk about connect, with the central issue being the Word of God. Um, let me just say this. I believe that the Bible is inerrant, that there are no mistakes in the Bible. It was written by men who were divinely inspired under the direction of the Holy Spirit to write the words that we see this morning. So when we come to the Word of God, what we are actually seeing and even hearing as we read is the very voice of, the very voice of God. So that's the starting point as far as scripture. It has to start there. And uh, to the liberals, the scriptures are uninspired there, and particularly the feminist movement of the 70s, that the Bible was unabashedly male, therefore they were prejudiced against women. That's where the liberals stand. Conservatives would say that the Bible is the word of God, and that's what we believe, and that's what our a statement of faith confirms. So let's lay that foundation right off the bat. So as we look at 2 Timothy, this is a very personal book. It's a very personal book for Paul. Paul wrote it. He wrote it to Timothy, who was at Ephesus, and it was 64 to 67, scholars say that. I, I put it closer to 67. Uh, just because I think it was closer to 67. Anyway, Paul wrote this from Rome in his second imprisonment. Know this, that when Paul wrote this, it would be his last letter. Paul would soon after this be martyred for the faith. And so what's happening here in 2 Timothy is Paul is reaching the baton out to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, you take the baton now and run. I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering. My time is at hand. I have finished the faith. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And so Timothy, who was his beloved son in the faith, would reach out, grab that baton, and Paul would go in to the kingdom of God. So it's very, very personal. And Paul is very pointed here right at the end of his last letter. Preaching was central to Paul's thought and his heart and, and everything that God had called him to do, all the stuff that Paul went through. This is what he says at the end of his life, and it's very powerful, and it's very important. Um, he wrote it basically how to deal with heresy, and the way that if you go back and you read 2 Timothy, you deal with heresy through sound doctrine, through godly living, and thirdly, through an organized church. So it was at this point in the New Testament church that they began to see some doctrines and some doctrinal statements come about. And the reason was that they had to protect the church against heresy, about the influx of heretical teachings. And they were already in the church. Gnosticism uh, was, was growing We've talked about Gnosticism. I don't need to go back and look at that again, other than it was just a special knowledge that had really nothing to do with the Scripture. And so Paul is saying, now look, Timothy, as he sits in his jail, and I've shown you pictures of that jail many times where they believe Paul was. As he sits there and he writes this, 
the most important thing that Paul could talk about to a young pastor, and when I say young, he was in his mid-30s, probably Timothy was, he comes back to this issue of preaching. This has been, and actually these are my favorite verses as far as preaching goes. And as we unpack this, we're going to learn the scriptures and also beyond that. So here we, here we go. The scriptures are foundational, and he charges Timothy. And by the way, when he charges Timothy, he's charging all pastors moving forward, including myself. I take these very personally. So you could say, a lot of this sermon is about me today. Not that I'm on stage, but it's a call and a charge to me as your pastor to remain faithful to the scripture. And I've always held this. There, there may be times people don't agree with what I'm saying, and that's okay. But make sure what you believe is also anchored in Scripture. So here we, here we go. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ. Charge means to admonish or instruct about a future happening. So what Paul is talking about here is laying foundation. Okay, look. I'm going to charge you, before I go to be with Jesus, I'm going to charge you to do something, and this is what I want you to do. He says here, I charge you in the presence. This is a very interesting word. Enopion, enopion, in the Greek, and it means in front of something or someone. So if we stop for a minute, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ. We live our lives in the presence of God in Christ. There's nothing hidden from God about our lives. There's, there's, there's nothing that God doesn't know about us. And so Paul is instructing Timothy, look, I am giving you this charge. Here's the baton. I see my execution spot. I know I'm going to die. I'm going to pass this on to you in the, in the presence of God and of Christ. I'm going to pass this baton on to you. Timothy, you grab it, and you make sure that you remain faithful and obedient to it. And so Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ. And again, God sees everything in our lives. Uh, uh, for the Lord, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. First Peter 3.12 says, His ears are attentive to our prayers, and God's face, if you go on and read it, God's face is against those who do evil. Nothing, nothing in our lives is hidden from God. Nothing. Dr. Cook, my... New Testament professor when I was in Bible college he said this he said you are no better a Christian than you are in the dark that I I wrote that down that that day and it stayed with me you are no better a Christian than you are when you are in the dark in other words when you are alone and you are living out your life just you and God that's that's pretty powerful he says I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead Clino is the word for judge, and it means to evaluate. So as far as this goes to me, when he says, I charge you in the presence of God who will judge, God in Christ, who will judge 
the living and the dead. What he's saying to me is that my ministry is under scrutiny by God. One of the things that I would tell young pastors, seminary doesn't really hit on this a lot. Maybe they do now. I, I, I don't know. One of the things that I would tell young pastors, but by young, I still feel like I'm young, but uh, that's for debate, I guess. One thing I would tell young pastors is you have to take the pulpit seriously. It, it, it's, it, it's okay to have fun. It's okay to make a joke now and then. But ultimately, you, your ministry and your preaching ministry will be judged by God. So therefore, when you step in the pulpit, make sure that you have an outline. Make sure that things are organized. Make sure that you have a message for the people of God that you believe came from God through you and preach it and be faithful to do that. And I, <clears throat> I, I honestly, and I, I'm evaluating myself, <clears throat> I give everything I have to the, to the sermon week in and week out simply for one, because I know that when I cross the finish line, somebody's going to judge me. Not you guys and gals. But there's one person who knows the intent of my heart every Sunday, and that's God, and it's right in his presence. He's going to judge the living and the dead. So God's going to evaluate the ministry. God's going to evaluate your lives too. And so we take that and we say we're going to be serious about living for him. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Some translations, good or bad, this says evil. But the fact is, all of us, Christians alike, are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And one of the things, we, we shouldn't live in, in, in fear, but there should be respectful fear as we live our Christian lives. And it, it's not something we think, well, I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time. I don't have to worry about judgment tomorrow. I don't have to worry about judgment the next week. Uh, I don't know if you follow. Uh, there's a two girls, Diamond and Silk. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Diamond, in her mid-50s, dies of a heart ailment. We don't know the day or the hour that we're going to die. And so we like to kick the can down the street and say, well, when I get a little older, I'll start really getting serious with God. We should actually get serious with God today. And the Bible teaches that. Today is a day of salvation. We do all those things. Banned by his appearing and his kingdom. The kingdom will soon arrive, and we are responsible to live in light of that knowledge. You look at this writing, and you can tell that Paul, particularly in, in the Greek language, he is really filling this with passion. And he says, at his appearing and kingdom. Um, back in the day, 
here we go. We're going on an army trip now. So just get ready for it. Uh, actually, I don't know what that's about. But um, I, I don't know if those of you that have been in the army, when I was in basic training, I was scared to death. Uh, eight, eight weeks, just fear. Just fear. The first day that we made our beds, you know, the, the, the drill sergeants told us. Uh, the next day we got up and everybody's looking out the window. Our, our window was right here in Gaynor. Uh, he was from New York. Uh, he could see the drill sergeants coming in. And we'd say, who's on today? And he would go, it looks like Caswell. Everybody's up. And we're making the bunks. That first day we came back from training, our room looked like a tornado hit it. We didn't do it right. It was an inspection. There's something very ominous about having this right in your face. Now, there, there, there was one picture I almost brought in where three drill sergeants, it was a three-on-one fast break. There were three drill sergeants on one soldier, and he was like this. Uh, I never had three drill sergeants on me, but I did have two. And I can tell you, it was not a pleasing event. But they do that, and there's this element of fear as you prepare for inspections. And then when I became a sergeant and started doing the inspections myself, I would go in and I would tell the guys, look, your wall locker needs to be this way, the shoes need to be here, the bunk needs to be made, because not only were we preparing for a IG inspection, but we also had to prepare for the company commander. So here's how it worked. The company commander, the first sergeant, the platoon sergeant, and then us, the sergeants. So what happened is, when we didn't do our jobs and the company commander came in and inspected the barracks and found this, 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 um, it, it was trickle-down economics, right? The company commander would tell the first sergeant, the first sergeant would tell the platoon sergeants, platoon sergeants would get on us. And of course, then I would get on soldiers. One, one time I said, look, guys, we have an IG inspection, which is a big inspection coming up. And we've got to get this right. And so on a Friday, uh, I'll never forget this, there was one, there was one uh, room where I went in and they just, it's like they didn't even try. I said, okay, guys, here's, here's the deal. I will come back tonight at 10 o'clock and I will inspect you. Sergeant Fraser, it's Friday. I don't care if it's Friday. We've got to get ready for this inspection. So they didn't pass that inspection. I said, I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, and I played that game all weekend. And I said, if we're going to do this, then we'll just keep doing this until you get it right. And guess what? They finally got it right. And that room passed inspection with flying colors. Listen, there's an inspection coming. We've got to prep for the inspection. And so we do everything that we can. We're still under grace. I... I I don't want that to get set to the side. We're still under grace, but we have to get ready for an inspection where we are going to be inspected. You, me, we're going to be inspected. Therefore, it's important 
that by the appearing as a kingdom that we are ready when we come face to face with Jesus Christ. And let me just say this. We shouldn't live in, in, in fear that we'll do something wrong. We're going to do something wrong. But it really matters about the heart. It really matters about our hearts. And we try to do what God tells us to do. We're not going to do it all the time. That's not the issue. But then you, you have people on the other side of the fence. They don't care. I'm under grace. Paul's here at the end of his life saying, Look, Timothy, when you get up there and you preach, make sure you do this. And so, anyway. Now, here we get to the components. We get to the components of what he calls preaching. K. Russo. And let, let me just bring it up here. K. Russo, to publicly announce religious truths and principles while urging acceptance and compliance. I look at this as Timothy's seminary class, or Paul's seminary class to Timothy, because every one of these components that are going to come into play now should show up in every sermon. That'd be another thing I'd tell young pastors. Go out, look at... Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, and that is the model for which you develop your sermons. So, he says, Caruso, to publicly announce, and the word publicly, this is right from uh, the Greek lexicon, to publicly announce religious truths and principles while urging acceptance and compliance. That is the heartbeat of preaching. It is to establish principles and guidelines. Not your thoughts. Me. Not you guys, me. I had the finger in the wrong place. So. Me. Not your thoughts. It has to come from the principles that are found in Scripture. This, and one Sunday, when I was at uh, Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, uh, Summer was with me, and we went to this church, and the, the pastor got up. It was Southern Baptist Church. The pastor got up, and he said, This morning, I'm not going to be preaching from the Bible. Really? And see, I, I had just enough knowledge to be a little dangerous. <laughs> um, he preached from a book. Now, he was slamming the book, but the problem was he didn't have any scriptures. And I'll never forget the guy in front of me. He, he took his tie off and he just laid it down like that and sat back. We left, and to be honest with you, I've tried to remember what I said to him. I'm sure it was flattering. Um, uh, but I said, don't, don't worry. Something to this effect, we won't be back. Um, and I left. The pastors must anchor their theology in the text. And expositional preaching is to take a passage and to extract out of it the meaning of the text. So that I can teach you and tell you guys and gals how to go out and live your lives. That's important. I take preaching very, very seriously because this is a call. 
That was one of the first things they ingrained in me in Bible college. If you're not called to this, go sell cars. Because this has to be a calling. And it's only deepened through the years. And I've made mistakes. That's not, that's not the point. The point is that when you preach, it has to be serious business. And you have to, because they're watching. They're, they're seeing it this morning right here. So I'm really getting on me right now. So you guys get a, you guys get a break. You get a buy this week. This is, all, this is about me. But there are some points that we can make along the way, and one of them is to make sure that we're living our lives for him. Now, be ready in season and out of season. He says, preach the word logos, which is the message. It can refer to Christ, but Christ is always the message. So any, anyway, the message. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready, very difficult to translate, but it carries the idea of urgency. Can you see Paul in his jail cell? Timothy, preach the word. Preach Christ, preach Christ's message, preach the gospel. In season and out of season is a, obviously a metaphor that Paul uses. It's been translated several ways. One is when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. That's not my favorite uh, approach to this. There's, there's two ways it can, there's actually three ways. The third way, I don't just throw that out. But when it's popular or when it's not. I think that's the best translation here. Preach the word when it's popular and when it's not. Years ago, I was preaching through the book of Galatians in my first full-time church. It was a, a larger church. And I noticed a family was missing. Because I, just like I do here, I, I show you what scriptures are coming. They had read the scriptures ahead of time and decided not to attend church. I said, I missed you last week. And they said, well, we knew what you were preaching on. They were legalists, and I didn't like grace. Hard legalists. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you, but we were going right through Galatians. And, And I think it was hitting their theology. But anyway, when it's popular and when it's not, Timothy, you stand up there, you preach, and you proclaim the message. Lee and Griffin, in their commentary, write this. The command implies that each Christian leader must always be on duty and take advantage of every opportunity of service when it's popular and when it's not popular. You need to be ready to preach. Always have a message in your back pocket. If some pastor called me today and said, I I need you to fill in for me on a Saturday night or whatever, I I, I got one in my pocket I can bring and I can preach. Always be ready. And, you know, that's for us too, guys and gals. Somebody asks you, hey, why do you believe in Jesus? You have an opportunity right then to say, well, I don't know everything, but I can tell you this, that God loves you. And then read John 3, 16 and just tell them, for God so loved the world. That means you. He loves you. Now, preaching actually gives us a cookie cutter, if you will, which should be an, I take this to be 
in every message. And by the way, this is not, not, not stuff that should be left out of the sermon. The first one is reprove, to state that someone has done something wrong. Now, pastors need to be extremely careful here. So the way I craft my sermons, if I'm using this to state that someone has done something wrong, that's the literal translation of that. So what I might do in a sermon is, this is how some people live. This is wrong. This is not how we roll. This is not how we live our Christian lives. I might say it that way. Barrett Glover, and it's been a long time, he said something in class one day, and I'm migrating back to Bible college for some reason this week. I don't know. Barrett Glover told us in Preaching 101 that he stood up in the pulpit and he named individual sins. The class was quiet, and I said, well, what's yours? Did you name yours? He was really over the top. Pastors can't do that. They can show, okay, this is how some people live, but we don't live like that. That's not how we live our Christian lives, without pointing out people's shortcomings and sins. A second thing that pastors need to do, and see, I've already done some of this in this sermon, you didn't even know it. You weave it in. It's woven through the sermon. Express strong disapproval. We don't do this. No, no, we don't do this. That's strong disapproval. But then what pastors, and I've seen them, boy, I've seen a lot of them, what I call the screamers and the yellers. They love, they love these two. Boy, they just. But they forget this one encourage people to live out the message. This is, and this is how I would do it, just thinking out loud here. This is how some people live their Christian lives. This is how the world views things. We don't do that. Let me encourage you. You are better than this. And the pastor at this point can express love to his congregation and say, I know that you can live this way because I see your daily lives rather than what I call the, the barefoot guys where they take their shoes off and they walk around and scream at people. That's not preaching. Ethos, pathos, and logos. Ethos is the character. This is what I call the triad of preaching. Ethos, pathos, and logos. Ethos is trusted character. That takes time to build. If the congregation does not have confidence in the pastor, they will not listen. So you have to model that before them. Preaching is not just about standing up here and screaming for 30 minutes. Preaching is about knowing your congregation, giving them encouragement as they live their Christian life, but also modeling that. And I don't do it perfectly all the time. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to make pretenses about that. But if they don't trust the pastor, 
not going to listen to the message. Guarantee. That's important. Logos is logic and reason. So people say, well, boy, you really spent a lot of time on this. Of course I did. It's logical. It's reasoned. Come, let us reason together. Let us get into Scripture. Let us reason through it so that we have some type of logical format in which we can preach and contain the message to what the author had originally intended. And then there's pathos, which is passion. Thirty-four years, I, I, I can tell you this. If a man is not passionate about preaching, get out of the pulpit. If there is a mist in the pulpit, there will be fog in the pews. The pastor needs to stand up there lovingly, caringly, expound the word of God so that the people can get that and go out and be just as passionate as the pastor was when he preached it. And, yeah, it's, wow, I spent a lot of time here. Okay, let's move on quickly. With complete patience. Audrey asked me one Sunday, why do you repeat yourself over and over again? And I said, because repetition breeds retention. Newt Larson told me to say it three different ways or even four different ways. But say it four times at least, or three times. So sometimes if you hear something, you go, okay, and you hear it again, okay, okay, got it, third time. With complete patience. I had no patience when I first started preaching. You guys should get this. I told you that last Sunday. Now I go, you know what, it's not my job it's not my job to help you get this. You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can teach you and say, you know, Pastor Mike was wrong there, whatever. But it's the Holy Spirit's job to take what God has given me and implant it in your heart. Newt, Newt, Newt Larson's absolutely right. Preaching is essentially taking what is in the heart of God and putting it into the hearts of his people. That's preaching in a nutshell. Some do it good and some don't. So you have to be, that's one thing I really had to develop over time was, okay, they're not going to get it this week. They might not get it next week, but eventually they're going to get it. And instruction. Teaching is the primary mission of the sermon. And I, I put this down here for myself. And not to beat people up weekly. Yes, call this sin and say, look, guys, we don't do this. Stay away from it. Now live this way. Go out this week and do that. Sermon's not over yet. Don't, don't get up. So the scriptures are foundational, and they must remain the truth. Any church that deviates from this is getting into deep water, wrong place. For the time is coming when they will not endure sound teaching. Guess what? That's where we are today. The congregations will not endure sound doctrine. 
it seems to be happening a lot. And this word endure means not to accept or receive something. So in other words, when the pastor preaches, you go, no, I don't want to, I don't want that. I don't want that. Usually the reason that people will reject a pastor's message or a congregation or even the pastor reject the message is because it challenges something in their life. And sometimes it's hard. Ouch. Okay, I got it. I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to make it right. People would rather go. This is true. This is absolutely true. People would rather go for the exciting. Right? Would rather go for the exciting. Some people say, well, the Bible's archaic. Doesn't mean anything. But the fact is, what Paul wrote here is taking place in our culture even as we live and breathe. So many denominations today are falling. So many denominations today are falling and they're leaving sound biblical doctrine to embrace heretical teaching and to embrace heretical stuff. There's the word sound here. The word sound means healthy. They will not endure sound teaching. And this word means healthy. I'm not a nutritionist, but I can tell you that's probably not healthy. Right? I do like hamburgers. I do like fries, but I don't eat them every day. They're loaded with grease. And some, sometimes a little grease is good, but uh, this, is, this is junk food. If you make your diet junk food, you're going to look bad. And your body is not going to get the nutrients it needs to be healthy. So, this is a little more healthy. Where's my vegans? You all like this stuff, right? This is, actually, this is, this is pretty good. That's chickpeas. And that's avocado. That's all healthy for you. It's, it's all good for you. It's all good for you food. So what they do is they abandon this in favor of this. In favor. So the believers leave, and I, I'm going to blame 90% of this on pastors. 90% of this is on pastors that are not preaching the truth or they're stretching the truth or they're uh, just flat out wrong. So what they do is, these pastors look at verse 3, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away, verse 3 and 4, and will turn away from the truth and wander into myths. Kanatho, itching ears. Boy, sometimes you get an itching ear and you really have to go at it, but that word literally means to hear what one wants to hear. Do you know why a lot of these churches are growing like massive? 
Well, when you look at the pulpit, it's like A, B, C, D, E, F. It's nothing deep. I'm going to point out some things here. And by the way, as your pastor, if when you see this person's three or four people on the screen here, if you're listening to them, I will encourage you to stop listening to them. Number one on my hit list. Whoops, Joel Osteen. I did have a clip of John MacArthur talking about Joel Osteen, but some way it didn't translate down here and it looked, didn't look good. Uh, Joel Osteen's message never involves confronting people. Be the best you. Like John MacArthur said, Jesus is a footnote in his ministry to satisfy his critics. You're born to be a champion. Yep. You're born to be a champion. You're born to love. And some of those are okay, but it's never anchored in Scripture. Here's another guy you should not be listening to. Kenneth Copeland. He's, he's a heretic. His doctrine is so messed up, no Christian should be listening to him at all. His thing is, oh, it's the next guy, but the same, it's the same thing. You, you believe it, you, you believe it in your heart, and God will make it happen. And In other words, God fashions your dreams and brings them about to suit you. That's not, that's not how it works. Kenneth Copeland, you have to have faith. And he does it with pathos. He does it with passion, but his passion is misplaced. He's misrepresenting the gospel message. Jesus had no place to lay his head. And yet he lives in a $2 million mansion that he's gotten from his congregation because they believe if they give him money, God will give them the desires of his heart. That is rubbish. His judgment day is coming. And this is name it and claim it theology. Another guy you should stay away from. Just whenever you see his face on TV, turn the channel. Joel Osteen, same way. Here's another one. Jesse Duplantis. He is a Gnostic. Trying to pretend that the gospel is something other than it is. You can see it right here. I don't need to go over there because Brian sometimes loses me in the screen, but here it is. Never doubt. Never doubt what? Never doubt God can give you the desires of your heart. So all three of these men, they have this name it and claim it theology. And that's exactly what Satan wants them to preach. Power, prestige, and wealth. Satan came to Jesus and he said, if you'll worship me, I will give you all of this. No. No, you're, you're a heretic. And God's going to deal with you. And you know who suffers? He 
it breaks my heart. Well, I've seen a lot of stuff. I've been on the other end of this. Where a child died, and the pastor had the gall to say, they prayed it around the church, and they said, we're going to bring a guy up from Kentucky who can raise your daughter from the dead. The pastor came up and he had the gall to say, your child did not raise from the dead because you lacked faith. This irritates me. And it takes a lot to irritate me. I had to deal with that woman for weeks to try to say, first of all, I'm so sorry. Your child should have been in a hospital. This is what this can do to your life. Now, I'm going to say it very strongly. When you see these guys on TV, turn them off. Get rid of them. They're no good. They don't have your best interest at heart. What they really have at heart is their wallet. And it is a Ponzi scheme. And by the way, Joel Osteen, I wish I had that video. It was really good. It was one of my favorite preachers, but he's dealing with it. Joel Osteen says, I know these principles work because they worked for me and my wife. John MacArthur said, so now that is the test of truth, not the scripture. See, this is about preachers today. Next week, you'll get a chance to get back in the action. Look. I love God, I love Christ, I love the Holy Spirit. And we, we can have fun during the sermon, that's okay. But ultimately, my job up here is not to be liked. My job is to preach the truth so that you guys and gals can go out into that world which is not going to like you, so that you can function as Christians in the world. That's my job. And so when we say, talk about preparing for his kingdom and his coming back, that we do everything that we can to live our lives according to this word and allow grace, allow grace. None of us got this thing down perfectly. None of us. Allow grace to others. Stay in the word. Study the word. Listen to the word. Be sensitive to the word. So when you're reading and God speaks to you about something, act on it. You say, okay, God, you're right. I send here. Forgive me. And if you've got to go make restitution or whatever, do it. Keep the word even when it's not popular.